Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. Let's hear the gospel. John chapter 19, verse 28. After this, when Jesus knew that all was now finished, he said, in order to fulfill the scripture, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there. So they put a sponge full of the wine on a branch of hyssop and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the wine, he said, It is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, the Jews did not want the bodies left on the cross during the Sabbath, especially because that Sabbath was a day of great solemnity. So they asked Pilate to have the legs of the crucified men broken and the bodies removed. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced his side with his spear, and at once blood and water came out. He who saw this has testified, so that you also may believe His testimony is true, and he knows that he tells the truth. These things occurred so that the scripture might be fulfilled. None of his bones shall be broken. And again, another passage of scripture says, They will look on the one whom they have pierced. Jesus was crucified and died on the day... Of preparation. This is a designation that comes from Israel's wilderness wandering. You remember that the congregation of Israel in the wilderness were fed by manna. Every day the manna would fall from the heavens and Israel would gather that manna. They gathered only enough for one day. But on the sixth day, the day before the Sabbath, the day of rest, they gathered twice as much. Because on the Sabbath, they were to refrain from work. They weren't to go out and gather. And so this day became known as the day of preparation, the day before the Sabbath. They were preparing for the Sabbath, we call it Friday. Now, when Jesus was crucified on the day of preparation, the Sanhedrin did not want crucified victims hanging upon crosses during Shabbat. Especially not this one because it was a high Sabbath. It was not only Sabbath, it was Passover. 
And so the Sanhedrin requested of the governor, Pilate, that the legs of the crucified men be broken, thus hastening their death. And so the Roman soldiers broke the legs of those two that were crucified on either side of Christ. But when they came to Jesus, he was already dead. He had died around three o'clock in the afternoon. But just to make sure, one of the Roman soldiers with the skill that he would have as a soldier, took a spear, knew where to find the heart, and pierced the side of Christ. And when he did, something miraculous happened. Blood and water came forth. John is clear that this is a miracle, although I'm sure he would prefer the word sign. Because after mentioning that when the side of Christ dead upon the cross was pierced, there immediately came forth a flow of blood and water, he makes this comment, he who saw this has testified so that you also may believe. His testimony is true and he knows that he tells the truth. Perhaps, I don't know, perhaps even only John saw this. Maybe others did too, but John certainly saw it. And he saw it as very significant, and he records it. And he testifies to the truth of it. So tonight, I invite you to join me in looking upon the pierced one. John's gospel more than any other gospel, more than any other New Testament book, is an invitation into the mystery of Christ. If we don't understand this, we'll read the gospel of John in a wrong way and miss most of these signs that are within the gospel that are invitations that beckon us to come into the mystery of God. The Gospel of John doesn't yield its mysteries so much to analytical methods as to meditation. This is why so much of John's Gospel has a strong feeling of poetry. Because poetry more than prose is conducive to meditation. John, more than any other gospel or any other New Testament book, lends itself to a contemplative reading, to read it very slowly, to maybe read it out loud, then pause, try to see the images, try to catch the signs. Now, as we look upon the pierced one hanging from the tree, we are drawn into the sacred mystery of Christ. But we are modern people, or we are plighted to live within modernity, certainly. And modernity doesn't like mystery, resents it, resists it, opposes it. 
Modernity doesn't like metaphor, and for that matter, modernity doesn't care much for meditation. These are, all thing, these are things that belong primarily to an older era. Modernity doesn't want mystery. It wants explanation. It wants facts. It wants data. It wants information. I think this speaks to the, to the abject spiritual poverty of our age. Scripture is not an encyclopedia of God facts. I, I ask you to set that notion of what the Bible is aside. It's not that. Scripture is not an encyclopedia of God facts. Scripture is a portal into sacred mystery. If you know how to approach it right, it's secret passages into the mystery of God. You see, we don't need more information. I know we live in the information age and we think that information will solve everything. That's why everything is so wonderful these days. <laughs> we don't need more information. We need a deeper experience with the sacred mystery of Christ. The early Christians and the church fathers approached this story of the pierced side of Christ and the blood and water that came forth as a sacred mystery that reveals something about God in Christ. Medieval commentators and artists treated the pierced side of Christ as something both poignant and precious. And so this kind of art was typical in the medieval period and uh, it was also something that the commentators spoke much on. And we see that as modern people, and I don't know what we think. We probably are very dismissive of it. We think it's maybe too sentimental, or perhaps we might even be tempted to think that it looks just a bit silly. You have these little angels flying around and all of that. Uh, I don't think it's silly, and I don't think... Um, they're trying to be sentimental. I think it's theology. And I think it's trying to alert us that there is something very significant about this sacred mystery of the blood and water that comes from the side of Christ. The angels do show us that it's both poignant and precious. The angels, some of them seem to be recoiling in horror at this, that, that, God made flesh is now dead upon a tree with a pierced side. Another angel seems to be just almost grasping at its face in horror of what has happened. Another one, though, looks on with great attention. And finally, one is collecting this blood and this water in a chalice because it is precious. So I've read a lot of the ancient and medieval commentaries on this passage. I've also read the modern ones. Modern commentators do something very different. They tend to want to explain this in medical and scientific terms. As if they are coroners trying to ascertain the forensic cause of death. CSI Jerusalem, you know. Uh, again, I think that just, first of all, it just so irritates me. 
that they're working so hard to be clever and miss the point. And I think it also just really does speak to the spiritual poverty that is endemic in modernity. So if you don't want to be a spiritually poor person, you're going to have to work at it because the age itself is not going to help you. John is not interested in a medical, in giving us medical information. John doesn't put this in his gospel so that later pathologists can come up with a cause of death. That's not what he's doing. So let's look upon the pierced one with more ancient eyes. As we look upon the pierced one presented to us by John, what do we see? The dominant theme in John's gospel is that when we see Jesus, we at last see God. That we finally know what God is really like. You know how John opens his gospel. In the beginning was the word, the logos. And this word was with God and this word was God. And then he tells us the word became flesh. And then he concludes the poetic prologue by saying, no one has ever seen God. The only begotten son who is near the father's heart, who has the father's heart, he has made him known. And he never departs from that theme all through the gospel. That to see Jesus is to gain the perfect revelation of who God is. And so, that's what John is doing. He's showing us God in Christ. So, we look at this. We look at the pierced one upon the cross and what do we see? We see God dead upon a tree from whose side flows a fountain of living water. We see God dead upon a tree from whose side there flows a living fountain. You might remember that earlier in John's gospel, in John 7, Jesus speaks of rivers of living water that would come from the heart. Selah. But more than that, we can see in the pierced side of Christ what was anticipated more than four centuries earlier by the prophet Zechariah when he writes, four centuries before Christ, I will pour out upon the house of David and the people of Jerusalem, a spirit of grace and mercy. They will look upon me, the one whom they have pierced, and they will mourn as one mourns for an only child, and weep bitterly as one weeps over a firstborn. On that day, a fountain shall be opened for the house of David, and the people of Jerusalem to wash away sin and impurity. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath its flood lose all their guilty stains. 
So we look upon the pierced one and we weep because we are complicit in the piercing of Christ. I mean, we, each of us in our own way, have at some time contributed to the evil in the world. And so that evil reaches an apex on Good Friday when Christ is crucified and the final violent entry wound, entry wound of, of sin into Christ is when his side is pierced by the soldier's spear. Well, we're all somehow, to some degree, complicit in that evil in the world that makes this possible. But we also look upon the pierced one and rejoice because there is a fountain that washes away sin, impurity, uncleanness. Yes, our own complicity in the evil of the world contributes to Christ being pierced, and so we weep. We see how utterly horrible sin is and can be, and yet we also look at this and we rejoice because we say, ah, now comes the fountain that can cleanse me, that can forgive me, that can wash away all of my sins. That soldier's spear, we could think of it this way, opened a window into the heart of God. And as we look into the pierced side and look upon the heart of God, we find there's nothing there but love. There's no wrath, there's no malice, there's no vengeance, there's only divine love. So I invite you to look upon the pierced one until you begin to perceive something of the sacred mystery. See him, this one who is God, this one who is the Logos made flesh. Crucified, hanging upon a tree. He's now said, it is finished and given up the spirit, breathed his last. He's dead upon the cross. God is dead upon the cross. But when his side is pierced, there appears a living fountain. I invite you to look upon that until you see something of the sacred mystery. Now don't look with modern eyes and see only some post-mortem medical phenomenon. That's not what's going on. Look with the eyes of faith. Look with your spiritual eyes and try to find the spiritual meaning of this miracle. This, it's not medical, it's a miracle. Let me help you. Again, I, we can't, you know, if we, stay, if we stay locked in these modern times, we, it forms our thinking in a way that we won't be able to read these kind of passages of Scripture to any real benefit. And so I'll take you back. And I want to give you some examples of how our ancient forebearers, our ancient ancestors in the faith, when they looked upon the pierced one, what they saw. 
I'll start with Origen of Alexandria. He lived from 184 to 253. Probably the most influential of the very early theologians. Ended up basically giving us um, the practice of creative theology. And Origen of Alexandria, when he looked upon the pierced one, what he saw was that rock that was in the wilderness. That when the congregation of Israel was dying of thirst, I mean, they're in the wilderness, they found no water, they're about to die of thirst. They complain to Moses, Moses cries out to God. And God says, Moses, take your staff and strike the rock. And when Moses struck the rock, a fountain came out of the rock. Streams in the desert. And the people were saved. And Origen says, that's the rock right there. Who has been struck. But it brings salvation for us who are about to die of thirst in this desert world. That's origin of Alexandria. Ephraim the Syrian. He lived from 306 to 373. This is a long time ago. This is early Christianity. Ephraim the Syrian. When he looked at the pierced one, he saw Adam. He said, oh, I remember. I remember when there was not a helper suitable for Adam. And so God put Adam into a deep sleep and opened up his side and took out a rib. And from the rib, he fashioned a wife for Adam. Ephraim the Syrian looks upon the pierced one and says, that's the second Adam. That's the last Adam. And he's gone down into the sleep of death. And in the sleep of death, his side is opened up that the bride of Christ might come forth. So Origen sees the water from the rock. Ephraim the Syrian sees the bride of Christ. What about Augustine of Hippo? The most influential of the church fathers in the Western church. He lived from 354 to 430. And when Augustine looked upon the pierced one upon the tree, he didn't try to do a medical examination and ascertain the cause of death. He was crucified. We know how he died. He was crucified. Now, when Augustine of Hippo looks upon the pierced one upon the cross. He says, oh, I see it. I see that's, that's Noah's Ark. And remember, there was a door, one door placed in the side of the ark. So that people could enter into the ark and find salvation. And so Augustine says, the body of Christ. There's a door to enter the body of Christ. You can enter the body of Christ. Ephraim the Syrian says, I, it's the bride of Christ that comes forth. 
Augustine says, yeah, it's also the door that we enter into the body of Christ that we might be saved. Augustine of Hippo had a mentor, Ambrose of Milan. He lived from 340 to 397, and Ambrose composed a hymn about the pierced side of Christ. Here's the first verse. So here's, here are the lyrics of praise songs typical of the early church. It has many verses. I'm just going to read the first verse. Ambrose of Milan writes, At the Lamb's high feast we sing praise to our victorious King who has washed us in the tide flowing from his pierced side. So taking my cues from ancient Christians from an earlier time and from John himself, I want to look upon the pierced one and try to see some things. And when I look upon the pierced one, I see the sacraments of salvation drawn from the side of Christ. In the water, I see baptism. In the blood, I see Eucharist. So that I see Christ baptizing the world with a fountain of cleansing water flowing from his side. I see, I see that water coming upon the earth. I see Christ baptizing the world with water that comes from his own self. I see the world being given the blood of Christ that we receive in the Eucharist. I, 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 in fact, what I see is I see the world being saved. And here's the thing. I believe the world is to be saved. I don't despair. I'm very aware. I'm very aware of the world that I live in. It's a world of anger and hate and mass shootings and all kinds of evil. I know about that. I know about the world in which we live in right now. I know what it's like, but I don't despair. I don't become cynical. I say I do have hope for the world because the world's going to be saved. Why do I say that? Because Jesus is the Savior of the world. And so I look upon the pierced one and I see our salvation. I see a sign by which the world is baptized in sacrament. I see our salvation. We don't need to do anything but look upon the pierced one and say with the centurion, truly, this man is the son of God. How do you get saved? Do that. Just look. You just, you just look upon the pierced one and say, the son of God. You don't have to explain it. You don't have to understand. You just look. Remember, when Israel was in the wilderness, they had a period of time where they were plagued by poisonous serpents. By the way, I hate snakes. I mean, I just... You know, I just wouldn't want to be in a situation where people were getting bitten by poisonous snakes all the time. But it was happening. And people are dying. And they complain to Moses. And Moses cries out to the Lord. There's a pattern here. 
And God says, Moses, it's not a problem. Here's what you do. You get yourself a bronze serpent coiled around a staff. And you lift it up high. And whoever looks at it, all they have to do is look at it. Just look at it. And they'll live. Even though they've been bitten by a poisonous, deadly serpent, they just look at it. The serpent lift. They just look. They don't have to explain it. They don't have to understand it. They don't have to do anything. They just look. Just look. They just look. Now, when Nicodemus came by night to see Jesus, and they had their conversation, at one point, Jesus said to Nicodemus, as Moses lifted up, the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Why? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever just looks upon him, whoever believes upon him, might not die of the venomous bite, might not perish, but live, have everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. He sent his son into the world to save the world. And how is the world to be saved? Look, just look. You can do theology, but you don't have to. I'm going to do some because I think I'm supposed to. But I'm not asking you to do theology. I'm just asking you to look and say, there's the Son of God. Just look. Call that one hanging upon the tree, the Son of God, and be saved. Our salvation doesn't look like a formulaic gospel tract presenting the plan of salvation. As if it's a business proposal, an investment prospectus. No. Our salvation looks like blood and water flowing from the side of the pierced one. The pierced one we look upon is the Son of God, and we are saved by the blood and water that flows from his side. Amen. Stand with me. And so, I'm glad those angels connect, collected that blood. Because we're going to partake of it. The cup of blessing which we bless is our participation in the blood of Christ. The bread which we break is our participation in the body of Christ. And so we've been bitten, snake bit, bitten, but just virtue of being where we are. And we think it's going to ruin us because bad things have happened to us. I get it. But we've got a solution. We've got a salvation. Just look upon the pierced one. Just look. Just look. Let's confess our Christian faith.
I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now let's confess our sins and receive forgiveness because the fountain is open and it's flowing with forgiveness. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your name, amen. And God is gracious to all who confess their sins and in humility ask for mercy. In the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. This is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more, so come. You who have much faith and you who have little, you who have been here often and you who have not been here long, You who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come. Because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. The body of Christ, broken for you. The blood of Christ, shed for you.